The Dernion is a high fantasy world illuminated by exciting stories. Kylon had never faced two at once, and might never have fought with such high stakes if he didn't dispatch the pair of foes who peered at him from across the bleak, dusty plain of the battle yard, either of whom could have been the largest he'd ever faced. The crowd would be merciless in their attack if his throat wasn't cut before they could get a hold of him. His foe's helmets, gauntlets, boots, and shields contrasted with his own naked torso and clothing no thicker than a few threads. Nilrim's massive hand and a half-sword and Everett's warhammer ate away at his concentration. Kylon's edge lay in speed. It didn't seem at all like a stupid decision to have foregone armor. Everett rhythmically pounded her shield with her warhammer, her Rabdi Brezda. Kylon knew it for a psych-out tactic she liked to employ, but today it unsettled him anyway. Crush you! screamed Nilram, suddenly, madly. His voice fluttered and broke with apparent rage. Kylon wondered what the guy was on. Maybe some bliss. He could have bought it off the Denian at Landru and Seventh. Kylon wouldn't reply to childish goading. A pathetic head games initiation trap by the two. The other cadets of his cohort looked on in total silence, the crowd probably rife with tension. Would Kylon, the mascot of their mischievous desires, prevail? But he didn't know for sure the reason for the quiet. His university-aged fellows enjoyed extravagant aloofness much of the time. Any among them who rooted for the eventual loser would lose that ageless vibe contest, in which the cohort of oldest students seemed to compete for least enthusiastic, most detached guy or gal. The Red Fortress was a shallow world, and Kylon would be kind of crushed to lose his place among the popular crowd. Nilram, the man, was a head taller than Kylon. The woman, Everett, stood a head and a half higher. Worst of all, both of their torsos were protected by massive military-grade shields. Their animalistic grimaces, not to mention Everett's unsettling facial tick, reminded Kylon of the whispers that they were part troll. Cruel joke, that just because they were tall and sort of ugly. Whispers also said that they slept together. He imagined their drive in the fight was inspired by a mutual protective infatuation, but also by Kylon's public claim yesterday that he could dispatch them both with ease in a one-on-two match. Kylon had a weirdly optimistic streak. The optimism was not a philosophical stance, more like a voice in the back of his mind that constantly broadcast messages like, Bah, don't give it a second thought. You'll be fine without any reasoning to back it up. It made life a lot more exciting, and usually in a good way, to give his inner risk-taker carte blanche control over his doings. Not that he ever stopped to think about it. This was the principle he'd followed that had birthed his bragging, which had landed him in the match. Kylon had some rage himself, though his was directed mostly at someone other than his opponents. The big shields must have required special dispensation, and it must have come from Griffram. Usually, fighters could only use foot-and-a-half-round bucklers that were standard issue for fights between protos. Nilram and Everett's huge shields were true wartime gear, steel-bound and made of double-layered oak. Kylon could almost hear Griffram laughing already. He probably leaned at his usual place 
face against the weapons rack. Not that Kylon had time to verify that he was there. A cry rang out from the crowd. Mildred's afraid of Kylon! It shouted with a playground-style lilt. It was Joram's voice, and Kylon knew his roommate probably meant to help by breaking the silence to root for him. He always had been a little naive beneath his bluster. Joram had shouted a somewhat peculiar name, Nilverit which was a name for the large duo Kylon faced. The faces of both Nilvrit members lurched into expressions of disgust. The jeer triggered their ponderous, momentous march in Kylon's direction. Around 400 pounds of fat-wrapped muscle was going to clobber his ass if he didn't do something. Like Kylon's assertion that he could paste the duo without breaking a sweat, the Nilverit cognomen probably enhanced the couple's anger. That was a coinage of Kylon's, one that had caught like wildfire among his fellow Red Mysterians. To celebrate that they bumped uglies, he had joined their names in one of the celebrity couple amalgams, the kind that corner cry of the news applied to paired-up stage actors and scandalous royal couplings. On Jorm's cry and the resultant charge by the trolls, all observing warriors erupted into hoots, hollers, and bets. At the establishment, which was the informal name of the prestigious fortress and school of the Red Mysterian Warriors, students were on miserly stipends for their incomes. They were therefore avid for any possible way to pocket a quick gold circle, which they could spend in the restaurants, bars, and clubs during their allotted time beyond the walls. None knew better than Kylon that such outings usually required cash. Nilvrit grew ever nearer. He had to do something, couldn't just allow them to build momentum. They might bring an to the match by simply trampling him. Kylon was much faster than they, even when they weren't weighed down by the unusually encumbering large shields. The thought of a trampling prompted Kylon to sprint full speed at them, readying his swords. Lacking any plan, he decided on an attack pattern he'd recently been practicing, the Ombros. His footing was all wrong, they wouldn't receive the full force of the blows, but his reasoning was split second. As he closed, their angry expressions turned to uncertainty. When he was within a few feet, he spun aside, veering in his path, but hitting them with a blistering array of sword strikes. The Ombros. The elven storm of swords harnessed his momentum, yet allowed him to spin defensively. A brief side note about the sound you just heard. The ring of a Mysterian school bell. The bell indicates to the listener that a topic just mentioned is detailed at Dern.world where the Encyclopedia of the Dernion resides. In this case, you will learn about the influence of elven sword fighting technique on that of the Androvnans. Also, why Mysterian school bells are quieter than most on Earth. Now we return to the narrative. If nothing else, the sound of the attack was impressive. Kylon had chosen it for its flash and furor. Clutching in fear at their big weighty plates of wood and metal, Nilvrit barely had a chance to raise their weapons. If they ever did swing at him, they were too late. Kylon thought this first clash favored neither side, but he had at least stalled their organized advance. Once again, he and his foes stood on opposite sides of the yard from each other. They quickly took up an approach identical to their first. Had they taken the useless blade lashing as a sign that he was intimidated? Was he intimidated? Kylon couldn't have said for sure. His mind whipped about without control, trying to lay hold of some winning tactic. What he felt now was basically the opposite of the deep-minded way of the warrior, the cornerstone of the principles the Red Mysterian school defined for its masters and teachers. If Kylon went deep-mind from what he understood, he would conduct only action, no thought. 
he would experience a seamless seal between himself and the world. In the meantime, as a warrior who had achieved a state of deep mind, he would be kicking ass without even realizing it. Someone operating at that level of skill somehow fused seamlessly with his weapons and environment. Kylon, to the contrary, felt his brain running around like an Altroidartan, a cat dragon with its head cut off. Once in a while, Kylon thought he understood, or at least glimpsed, just what the deep mind really was. But at times like this, it was abstract and wispy, as the conjugation of verugic verbs. Kylon had been taking cautious, steady half-steps backward through the battle yard, but now his heel bumped to the foundation of the stone wall behind him. Shit, he thought. That was when an idea struck Kylon. Next, the idea struck Nilram's shield. Kylon threw his right-hand sword point-first at the large man. With a gratifying thunk, the blade's point lodged in the wood of the big shield, and the sword stuck there with intimidating perpendicularity, briefly vibrating. In Kylon's dreams, what really happened was that the flat of the sword smacked the shield and kicked up a puff of dust where it landed at his assailant's feet. They were at least puzzled to a halt for a moment. Everything went quiet. Kylon noticed the extreme quiet only when it was broken, and what broke it was Joram shouting, Great going, man! Now throw your other one! and uproarious laughter. His support was steadfast as sun, moon, and stars. Kylon leapt in Griffram's direction. They locked gazes as Kylon sprinted at the old man. In his crow-nested eyes, Kylon glimpsed recognition that the lesson of the shields was meant harshly. He was punishing Kylon's braggadocio, intending to lend Nilram and Everett an unfair advantage to take Kylon down a notch. No one in the Protoss cohort had ever used full-sized shields in a battle yard match. As he flew at the Master Mysterion, Kylon switched his left-hand sword into a right-handed grip. He reached a hand out toward Griffram. Alarm sprang up in the old man's expression, and just then, Kylon moved his hand in the direction of a spear, snatching it from its place on the rack inches from Griffram's head. Kylon choked up on the spear till he cradled its butt. His distance from the goons might be just enough to pull this off. It would probably take some luck. He should have been better to the one all this time. Again, he took off at top speed, spear parallel to the ground like the lance of some horseless jouster, and in his other hand, his king steel. At full speed, he stabbed the dirt with the spear point and vaulted into the air. He slowed at the height of the arc, covered there just long enough to give him a glimpse into the abyssal humiliation he would face should his speed turn out to be insufficient, but his momentum took him over the top. From there, gravity took over. He released the spear. He spread his arms like some godforsaken flying squirrel. Kylon careened into Nilvrit, bringing them down into a grand and slatternly heap. He atop all, yet akimbo. Traitor! Came a scream from the crowd. Brilliant! Shouted Joram, who was nothing if not flexible. While all struggled in the dogpile, recognition tickled some corner of Kylon's awareness. He heard a noise that had big implications for that evening. It was the cry of a Lanzig, a bird that had become rare in this part of its range, in and about Anamareth, the city and the river. Only because the bird was so uncommon did Kylon suspect the cry. It was actually a completely convincing impersonation by a unique friend of his beyond the establishment's wall. The outsider friend was a masterful genius with that sort of thing, mimicry, impersonation, and linguistic or sonic matters of all kinds. 
Kylon heard the secret message, but couldn't worry right now about what the code meant. His opponents had managed to raise themselves to knees and elbows. In a flash, Kylon was on his feet. While they rested themselves to verticality, he rearmed himself with the erstwhile missile, his right-hand sword. He laid into Nilvrit the way intended by the one, the good, namely with him holding a huge tactical advantage. He once more wielded two swords, and what was more, did so against unshielded enemies, or at least ineffectively shielded enemies. Nilram was still on one knee when Kylon sliced his throat. Rather, his sword seemed to plunge into Nilram's neck. To any observer unfamiliar with battle illusion themes, the cut looked real. But to Kylon or another weapons wielder touched by such speech, the thrust was bizarrely insubstantial. His weapon went light in his arm. The blade became weightless, his grip sometimes seeming to close on emptiness, and its apparent plunge into flesh created no friction whatsoever. He laid open the heart cavity of Everett. Kylon's enemies were dead. They were a couple of enraged, dead, grudge-holding, part-troll lovers who would definitely cause Kylon trouble in the future. This was the fourth or fifth time he had humiliated them in one way or another, but it was the first time he had slain two at once in the battle yard. Joram, who'd been at the front edge of the crowd with a fistful of gold circles, the hollowed-out coins that were the Durnion's prime currency, was on Kylon a second after the match. He raised the victor's arm. I knew this guy could do it, he shouted to the protos and instructors. Most of the Red Mysterian cadets, not including Nilvrit, who stormed out, slapped Kylon on the back or shook his hand. As that went on, Kylon noticed Griffram's routine nod to a nearly unnoticeable figure who stood near the exit arch, Mandius, the official speaker or wizard of the Red Mysterians. On Griffram's nod, she closed her eyes and spoke to herself, themes of Rugen speech. She was turning off the protective magic that prevented real injury within the yard. It was she who turned the would-be mortal wounds into phantom safety cuts. Kylon saluted, shook hands, shared fist pumps, and exchanged jibes with his congratulators. Once more, he felt secure in his darlingship among the students. He had not forgotten the Lanzig. As his friends dissipated, Kylon's mind turned toward his nighttime plans. Normally, those would be to fit in a few extra hours of combat practice while he should be working on linguistic learning. The message initialized a secret plan. Only the first steps were clear yet to Kylon, but he knew his ingenious friend had more in mind, which would be revealed in the city at large, outside of the establishment, in the lively city streets of Anamareth. The famed City in the River, crown jewel in the civilization of the humans of the North.